This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there. Welcome to Life Elsewhere. I'm Norman B. Poetry is an area of creativity I welcome the opportunity to focus in on whenever possible. And judging by your response, you agree. Each and every time poetry has been the topic of discussion at Life Elsewhere, we receive enthusiastic feedback. Poet Richard Price has appeared on the show a number of times. His new book is titled The Owner of the Sea, Three Inuit Stories Retold. Now these are rich, extraordinary tales from ancient Inuit culture with remarkable northern vistas, unfamiliar narratives, strange gods and unforgettable characters where women can marry dogs, birds beat their wings so hard they create a storm and an old woman turns into a man. I'm very pleased to welcome Richard Price back to Life Elsewhere. Well, th- thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. And and I've got to let everybody know, the reason that we have you back is your new book, which I have thoroughly enjoyed, and I'm going to explain to my listeners the title, The Owner of the Sea, Three Inuit Stories Retold. A fascinating book. I want to ask you to begin about poetry because it really is a it's a unique form of writing it's a unique form of creative expression what got you into poetry uh songs songs so simple as that um sam cook bob dylan uh, um and i uh adapted their lyrics uh, and then began to write my own um so in a way, uh, it was the lyrics that interested me. Um, they, uh, I know lyrics aren't always the same as poetry. There's a bit of an overlap, but they're not always yeah. the same. Um, but that is what led me to then books, books of poems. Um, and um, I think every writer, well, hopefully every writer has some encouraging spirit in their lives, in their teenage years. And uh, for me, it was a really good English teacher. And then it was someone who's uh, quite a bit older than me, seven or eight years older than me, when I won a competition that he judged a little bit later after I left school. Um, And he opened up um, a world of cool poetry because uh, poetry can be seen in different ways. It can be seen as a little bit hidebound, a little bit uh, dusty. Yeah. too academic uh, but the poetry of Bukowski of the beat poets of many of the poets I love is not dusty it's it's action poetry it's life poetry it's on the move and um, that is part of the poetry which I really like um, it's not the only way I write but in this book, it, it really is. Um, there's a kind of dot, dot, dot. What's yes. going to happen next? You, yes. What? They didn't really do that, did they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you for that explanation. And it's interesting that you say about the sort of the, the movement, the, 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 the energy that you just talked about, which is what 
I love about this book. So from you, Richard Price, tell me your take on, on the Inuit peoples and why you gravitated to these three stories. Sure. Well, I, um, I can say why I started to get interested, but I can also say what, the, what I think the stories are doing. So why I started to get interested um, was simply uh, an artist I work with, I've worked with for over 20 years. We make beautiful books together. Um, he uh, makes the books, he uh, does the, the drawings and the, and the print. He had been in Canada in the 50s and early 60s, I think. And he'd come across uh, Inuit culture in the guise of the sea goddess Sedna, who forms one of the, the major sequences in the book. And he'd never found uh, an artistic way to represent her. It sort of haunted her, haunted him, that, that uh, myth. Um, Sedna um, gives life to all the sea animals in a very strange way, which we might come on to a bit later. Mm. Um, and finally, you know, 50 years later, he approached me and said, you know, we've got to do something. This, this is something I'm finally going to make a book about. Uh, would you write a few poems uh, just to, to make the book uh, satisfying in a, in a literary way as well as a visual way? Um, so I've always felt I'm a kind of session poet for Ronald King, the, the artist in question. Mm. Um, he asks, I come in, I play the bass line, <laughs> yes. and he does everything else. <laughs> um, and so it was a modest, uh, a modest proposal, a modest uh, suggestion, but I started to read around the subject. Um, I began to understand a little bit more about Sedna. There were many, many more stories about Sedna to tell. And um, I wrote much more than the book required. Um, I sent them off to my book publisher, who also publishes a magazine. And he said, these are fantastic. I'm publishing them all in the magazine. By the way, why don't we make a book? And uh, then I began to research more. And um, the result is the owner of the sea, the whole book. Two things I've got to point out to my listeners. You do a beautiful introduction. And the introduction itself, I think, is the, worth the price of admission because it's, it really explains so much of what is going on. It's great to get to the, to the bulk of the book, to the poem. Uh, but the introduction really, really tells us about why and what and, and, and answers some of the questions I just ans asked you. Talk to me, Richard, about, about the construction of the book, about putting the book together, because I have, I have a sneaking suspicion that this wasn't sort of just, you go, okay, I'm just going to write, I'm going to write about the three Inuit stories and I'm going to retell them. Um, I, it seems to me, from the introduction and from just knowing you and just reading the poems, that you spent a lot of time thinking and navigating where you were going to go with this well you're right and uh one of the traditions in uh in inuit culture is the the shaman tradition where uh, a shaman visits the spirit world it travels important that he travels through um through um, a gap 
or uh, through uh, entering into, in a way, a parallel universe. It is almost like what we would call science fiction. Mm. Um, and I felt writing them was uh, at times a trance state. Um, I have spent um, literally years, it's uh, probably a four or five year project, um, and very intensely, very intensely. Um, so the construction was um, a sense of gathering as many uh, accounts of the myths as I could get, um, trying to find um, a narrative, a way, a line, a line across the book. So the book is not lyric poetry at all. Um, it's actually um, act, what I call action poems. They're, mm. they're going to lead you to the next poem very quickly. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, startling things happen almost every second poem uh, very violent things some uh, pretty explicit things as well I need to, to warn people that this is not for children you might think that all oh, these are lovely stories for the little children they're not they're very adult they're very shocking they're very beautiful um, and the energy uh, of the the stories is extraordinary the way of looking at the world the creation stories, how things came to be, the decisions, um, quite often very harsh decisions that made those things into being, they're in the book. And you've also got fantastic heroes. So yes. Sedna is a much maligned woman, uh, especially by her father. Her father is a real piece of work. Um, who really yeah. <laughs> who is just like a dead loss, keeps on doing awful things. Uh, and then at the other end of the book, uh, almost balancing the gender, which I wanted to do, um, is Kivyuk. Um, now, he is a traveller. Uh, he travels in his kayak um, from incredible scene to incredible scene. Do you want mermaids with spikes instead of, instead of tails? You've got them. Do you, do you want uh, exploding bears? You've got them. Um, it goes on and on and on. And um, I, I just, <laughs> I, it, was, it was just so joyful, joyful yeah. reading. Yes. Um, however, I have to say, it's also a modern book. So you're not, you're not going to get uh, what I call bardesquery. It's not going to be and in the olden days. Da, 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 no. da. Yeah. It's quite a sly book. It's... Um, I, I would say it's sort of Tarantino uh, meets Homer. It's uh, Homer that is of the Odyssey. <laughs> and sometimes it's Homer Simpson as well. There's lots of jokes <laughs> in it too. So yeah, you got the two Homers. Come on. How good, how good is that? Um, I so love it's... that. I'm going to quote you on that. That's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> but Richard, there's I... a lot of fun in there. Yes. Uh, we want to get to, to, to so much of this. One thing that I didn't ask you in our, just our preamble before we started recording, and that is, would you mind reading a couple of poems? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I, Good. I, I, I can read you a, a, an episode if you like. Yes. Hold on to that thought just for a moment, because there's one thing that you said and I want to touch on, and, and that is... Um, have you ever thought about writing science fiction? Because as you say, there's, there is a sort of a, a parallel universe that goes on in this book, which is very science fiction-like. So for Richard Price, poet, uh, uh, artist, have you, have you thought about writing science fiction? I have. I, I love science fiction uh, film. 
Um, I, I've read a little science fiction literature, but I love films. Um, and um, I have written a short novel, which is just this side of reality, uh, ah. science fiction wise. It's called The Island, and it's about an airborne virus, believe it or not, came out in about 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, they call me Nostradamus, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can't really claim I predicted it, but I... Um, so I'm, I am interested in it. I've never gone the whole hog and uh, written a full science fiction work. Um, but Inuit culture is full of what we would now retrofit as science fiction so yeah. people live on the moon in uh, some of the inuit legends uh you go through a puddle in an igloo you come up uh, at a completely different part of the landscape in other words it's a teleportal um it's uh, uh, a fascinating culture their their ideas are just extraordinary before you read there's one question that I have to ask you, and this is going to make sense when we, I think perhaps what you read or when we talk more about the, the book and the poems, and that is the sexual aspect. And I'm going to use a word, which I'm not sure is a real word or not, but intersex because the characters in your book, they can change one minute. They're men and next minute, they're having babies and then next minute i mean it's just it's, it's very fluid um and it's not i'm i'm i don't want to explain from you talk to us you tell us about the the sexual the intersex aspect of the inuit people and in the poems yeah well i think you're referring to the the third sequence which is uh which yeah. i haven't talked about which i place in the middle of the book yeah as a transition from Sedna, the sea goddess, to Kivyuk, the uh, male hunter. Um, and there's a short piece um, called, uh, it's got a long title, and even I've forgotten the title of it. There's, there's no named person, um, which is another reason why I've forgotten the, the title of it. It's, um, I want to get it right. Um, the old woman who changed herself into a man. Man, yes. Now, um, again, this is from um, a, an account um, taken. So it's sort of um, a kind of translation, but then a summary of whatever the translation was. And it tells the story of an old woman and a young woman who lived together alone. Yeah. And the old woman changes into a man to become uh, her husband. Yeah. And uh, she does that through um, changing her body, um, uh, cutting parts of her body and somehow reshaping her body. Now, this is almost certainly hundreds, if not thousands of years old. Um, and clearly it's, it's speaking uh, to um, the... The, the, the knowledge that we have now about uh, transsexual people um, and transsexual people have been here forever. Um, and it's an account of that, the, the tensions, the social tensions, um, the love, um, all those sorts of things 
without kind of laying it on with a trowel. It's um, it's also very enigmatic and yes. uh, very beautiful and harsh all at the same time. There's a lot of drama in that tiny little uh, piece. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to include that. Um, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of challenge in the book about the way genders relate to each other. Um, in some ways, it's very Old Testament. Um, yes. Yeah. In other words, it's, it's really misogynistic. <laughs> it's full of patriarchy. Um, and, uh, and you have to uh, take its ambiguity. In some ways, you can read it as, um, as supporting that. In other ways, you can read it as self-evidently not supporting it. Um, I don't. Um, I don't want to come down to damage the legends and the enigma too much, um, but I. I think reading it, you will. Um, you will understand that complexity and see the tension. Um, again, poetry and, and maybe the best fiction isn't always telling you how to think. It's saying, and this happened. And uh, it was really complicated. Uh, look, look how it became complicated. Uh, what, what are you going to do about it? And it maybe even leaves it at that. Um, so I think the, um, the the book is, although it's um, it's very strong on narrative, it is also saying, "What the hell are we going to do? Here? <laughs> look at this. What are you going to do about that?" <laughs> you know? yes. um, um, so it is. It's pretty challenging read. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. It's, it is a. It is a challenging read. <laughs> well, let's hear some of it right now, if you wouldn't mind, Richard. Um, let me well, know I'll, what you're going to. Yeah. I'll read um, the Bee Woman. This oh is where, yes. This is where our uh, hunter Kiviuk, um, uh comes across um, a creature, uh, uh, an old lady who the audience know is actually a bee. Now, bumblebees exist in the Arctic. I, uh, I did a little bit of research around this, um, but they're not the same as our normal bumblebees. They look almost exactly the same. They're furrier. They've got more muscle, so they can shiver harder. And there's something to do with the regulation of their blood, which is um, very important uh, and allows them to be in extremely cold places, which normal bees can't live in. Ah. So. You were, you were talking about um, how science fiction seems to be almost like uh, this story. And I think for Inuit uh, people, the bumblebees must seem really, really alien because they, in a way they shouldn't be there. Um, they seem sort of spooky. Anyway, that's, that's my, my feeling. Right, let me just find the bee woman. So I'm, I'm going to read this fairly quickly um, to, to get the to get the sense of action, and it will it will go across five or six tiny poems, something like that, um, just to kind of get the episode um, and some of the humour as well. Kibiuk is out on the open water again. While he paddles, he remembers meeting another woman a long time before all this began. He'd landed on another shore, and straight away there's a house. Something not right with it. Tumble down, no roof, but smoke, or is it steam coming out the top? 
It was both. That's the smell of meat cooking. But what meat? Kibiot couldn't place it. Well, meat's meat. Maybe there's a welcome here. Kibiot passes a window casting a shadow into the house. There's a large old woman bumbling about indoors. She's placing skins on her drying rack and now she's cooking. Oh, clouds, she says. I wasn't expecting that, meaning Kibiot's shadow. I'll need to get busy. She gives the pot a vigorous stir. Kibiot climbs up the house wall and looks down. He now sees what kind of skins are stretched out on the drying rack. Human skins. Is she a spirit? They say you can tell by looking at the eyes. She's directly beneath them as he lands a gob of spit right in the centre of her head. But she doesn't look up. Oh, rain. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know I had a leak in my roof. Now, she does look, but can't see anything because of her bushy eyebrows. She stretches her eyebrows out, cuts it off and puts it into the pot. And she does exactly the same with the other one. Then she looks directly at Kiviuk. Did he just lose his footing? Did, did he faint? It feels like months, not minutes. Did he actually die? He wakes up in the old woman's bed. Hello, says the woman. A human. Welcome, rest you. The weather can only get worse. It's clouding over and there have been a few spots of rain. Kiviuk saw some human eyeballs in the stew. And a hand, two eyebrows bobbed up now and then as she stirred the pot. I've taken your wet things off. Lie down, there's, there's no need to get up, the old woman said in a sing-song voice, almost humming. Kibiuk saw that he was on a narrow bunk, edged with human skulls. He saw his parka and boots on the rack. Now, I just have to visit the heather before the downpour. Make yourself at home while I'm gone. She put on a thick fur coat with which has bands of black and yellow. Then she practically flies out of the house. Richard, I think perhaps your 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 brogue, your accent adds so much to this. I don't know that I could hear it in my voice. I think that you you add something to it with your with your dialect. Well, it, it was the strangest uh, thing. I um, we had a launch uh, last week for the book, um, and I realised there were so many characters in the book that I couldn't just read it normally. Yeah. So I had to um, I had to have different accents, um, and I also had to sort of re-inhabit um, my home language. Yes. Now, I'm a Londoner. I've lived in London for more yes. than half my life. Um, and um, my accent has got more and more English. Uh, it was already middle class, so it's a soft accent already. I had to sort of re-inhabit my, my old language to read the poems. And I, people often say I'm more Scottish when, in my poems than I am in real life. Yes. Um, yeah. that, I think that's true. Um, it, it adds a certain character that um, 
it comes across on the pages, but I, I, I just love what you just read. Let me tell my listeners, if you're just joining us, my guest is Richard Price. His new book we're talking about is called The Owner of the Sea, Three Inuit Stories Retold. And Richard just read one of those poems to us. There, there, is, there is in this book, as you said earlier, there's a lot of really gruesome things happening you know there's a there's a pots she's cooking there's eyeballs in it she clips her eyebrows and puts them into it she's there's a bed with skulls all around it but having said all that it comes from inuit stories and this is all very real for for the inuit people i was wondering i was curious about this did you or have you gotten to meet any inuit people I haven't. I haven't. And I, I stress the distance in the book. Um, so um, it really is a, a modern poem. Um, where it's coming from uh, are, um, are lots of different directions. So uh, lots of different accounts, some of them relatively contemporary. Um, there was a fantastic project that um, a, a writer and performer, Kira Van Dusen, was involved in and uh, coordinated. And she went across um, uh, Northern Canada with a filmmaker called John Houston, not, not the fam famous right. one, not the American yeah. one, uh, Canadian one, um, and filmed uh, contemporary storytellers. And um, those uh, tales were translated into summaries, very brief summaries, um, six or seven par paragraphs long. So from there, I was able to get um, the narrative structures. But the telling is completely different. It's not in an oral storytelling style at all. Right. Um, it's, it's using uh, really modernist poetry techniques. Um, so no, um, I, I emphasized that and at various parts of the book, um, the poem pauses to say, this could happen or that could happen. Just just yes. tell you that this is not right. um, an actual Inuit story. It's much closer to uh, a tribute and a, re a remaking of some kind. Yes. Yeah, I think that's important that we sort of reiterate that it's uh, three Inuit stories retold. On that note, has the, have you heard any reaction from Inuit people? Not yet. Not yet. It's just been published. Yes, it's just been published. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm nervous about that. Um, Are I you? Would, I would hate to think that um, it was seen as um, in any way exploitative. Um, I think it's more of a devotional text than an appropriating uh, text myself. Yes. Um, but I um, I am nervous about that. There's no question. Hmm. Explain that further. Are you are you are, are you concerned that you're? Look, would you you give me the the the, the reason for behind that? Well, I, I think the the reason is that Inuit cultures have had such a hard time. Um, uh, you'll have seen the uh, the recent news stories about the residential schools in yes. Canada, where. Um, bodies from First Nation um, uh, families have been disinterred. And here well, in America, and here in the States. 
Or is that true? In fact, oh, in fact okay. just not too far from where I am right this moment, uh, graves have been discovered. Yes. Oh, yeah. crikey. Well, or not even here. graves, but just, just you know, places where bodies have been found. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Please. Sorry. Go, go on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we all know uh, the, the, the suffering that Inuit cultures and uh, other indigenous cultures in, in North America have had to endure for centuries. Um, I um, and I, in a in a broad way, I'm part of Western culture. I don't want to be seen, and I don't believe I am part of that. Um, <laughs> however, however, I can see that I have made poems from Inuit intangible cultural things. Yes. Um, and um, I, I, I can understand if there was unease about that. I know that was difficult for you to explain that. And, and I'm sorry, I, I had to press you on it just a little it's, bit. It's um, a good question. It's, it's central, I think. Yes. It's, it's central to, um, I think, the advocacy part of the book as well. Yes, yes, the stories are exciting, beautiful, strange. Um, but um, Inuit culture, to some degree, is still under attack, systematic attack. Um, it, um, it needs support. It needs uh, its fantastic stories shared. Far better if um, Inuit people do that themselves, of course. Um, but um, one art form relating to another art form, I don't think is such a bad thing. I, I liken it more like a painting of a literary or a theological topic. So you, you imagine a 16th century European painting of the nativity in the Christian tradition. Now, that painter knew nothing about <laughs> what was going on in Palestine in the first century. Absolutely right. nothing. Yeah, um, but they are devoted to some of the ideas that survived those sixteenth century, those sixteen centuries. Um, they're also uh, caught within a patronage, uh, uh, patronage net. So painters in the sixteenth century, you had to have a patron. Um, me, I have to have a publisher. I ha have to. Um, do that thing which is um within the marketing world yes although in poetry terms i've never made a profit yet yes yes <laughs> let's let's talk about that just for a moment if you wouldn't mind richard my guest is richard price his book is called the owner of the sea three inuit stories retold richard just read to us one of the poems we're going to get him to going to cajole him into reading another one for us in just a moment um Poetry is a funny, uh, a strange business, isn't it? But out of all the arts, it's the one that I hear this so often is I don't make any money out of it and I do it for the love of it. And something that comes across in this book and I think is, is so worthwhile pointing out is, is, as you just explained, you don't want to take advantage of the Inuit people and you don't want to be seen to be um, taking advantage of their, of their stories and their culture. That's very important to you, and I and I and I want to stress to my to my audience that in no way at all does this come across as being somebody that is 
um, just using the Inuit's culture for his own means. It's, that's not even close to happening. Having said all that, for you, for a, as a poet, it, it is a it, it's a work of love. You do this because you are. You said a word a little while ago. You said devotional, and I think this applies as well, not only to the to the Inuit culture, but also to Richard Price as a poet. You seem this seems devotional to me. The way you've written this, and the way you speak, in the tone of voice that you use, just to talk about your book. Your thoughts? I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, I'm not a religious guy. Uh, yeah. I wasn't brought up religiously. Um, but um, I suppose, and again, I'm, I, it's almost like I don't want to put it into words. It, uh, yeah. And I think that's um, that's a kind of witness to, to what we're talking about. Um, there's something um, very intricate. Um, it's it's both. Again, I'm I'm really struggling, and I think that's actually quite a good thing. Yes, I um, think so. Yeah, it's um, it's a it, it's it's a way of seeing um, the world. Um, where humans are creaturely, creatures are human, um, and sometimes you don't know the hell difference. <laughs> um, it's seeing them within close proximity. They're living with each other, having to live with each other. They're not um, shying away from the conflict that close proximity almost always means. Um, some ways they're trying to work that out. Um, there are some shocking things in the book which um, I've tried to make the characters um, either be punished for or for them to work out their penance. So um, the, the terrible father of Sedna is punished in, um, in Inuit legend and he's punished horribly, so horribly, I'm not going to read that one out. Um, <laughs> it's definitely Certificate 18, folks, that one. Right. Um, um, Kibiuk, um, I, I see Kibiuk's journey as his, um, he's trying to understand women, and he doesn't understand them at all. Um, and he um, create. Uh, creates some very, very violent uh, situations. He acts extremely violently um, because he's unable to cope with his um, very, very strong feelings. And he has to um, pay his dues for that. I'm not sure whether you can ever pay your dues in full for what he does. And there's a sense that he is a kinder, kind of wandering lost soul got to forgive me for using essentially Christian imagery for a completely yes, Christian yes, book. Yes. Um, again, I, I stress this distance. I, I don't, I don't want to translate Inuit culture into anything but itself. Uh, but I'm, but I am distant. I'm a, a Western Scottish contemporary poet who uses 
modern language, modern almost filmic techniques to um, to tell these stories in in my own way. Um, but I think there is something almost theological, but not boring. <laughs> I want to really, really stress this. If you think this is a boring religious book, no, first, no, 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 you, no, you're, no. You're in the wrong place, Marius. Yes. And, and yeah, and as you said, it's <laughs> it's the furthest thing from any kind of Christian diatribe you could imagine. I've got to ask you this, Richard. Um, the characters got a favorite? It has to be Kivyuk. I know. I know. Yeah, I've just said yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I've just said he's a bad, violent man. I know. I know. Yeah. As you were saying that, as you were saying that, I'm thinking to myself, but you like him, don't you? I mean, I mean, not that you like that you want him to be your best friend, but as a character, he's so large. He's so um, he's so all encompassing. Yet at the same time. He's so fragile because he doesn't quite understand things he should understand. And, and that's what yeah. makes him just such a such a character. Oh, the character is so rich. It's so rich. So I have to say that. Um, so I'm working from prose summaries. He's not really characterized, um, but we do know a few things about how he's seen. And one of the things that he's um, he's loved for, he's actually loved. Um, is he is kind, he's kind, and he's kind when he doesn't need to be. Um, as it turns out, that saves his life again and again. Um, the best case would be where um, he uh, he is kind to um, a piece of bone on the shore, and this this bone is crying out, "Clean me, clean me," and uh, Kippy cleans him and sees that in actual fact the bone is a shaped piece of bone with a little eye and it's um it turns out it's the dog in a game that uh, in which used to play when you were children um and at the same uh, almost at the same time he sees a lemming who is crying out save me save me and is in a tiny little puddle a little rock yes. pool um, of water with lemming all, all the lemming had to do was stand up it was that shallow and again that's sort of symbolic um and um, Kibiuk just says, oh, don't, you know, don't worry, mate. Just lifts him out of the puddle. Now, the lemming he encounters much later on another shore. And the uh, when Kibiuk is just about to go into a house. And um, the lemming says, don't go in there, mate. Uh, or if you do, you better put some rocks underneath your uh, outer coverings. Um, because those people in there are going to kill you when you're asleep. If you don't do that, you're dead, mate. And um, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I do do it in a kind of poetry, but yeah, it's not far yeah, from yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. not far. And, um, and so he does. He does. And uh, this bizarre um, incident with the, the mermaids who have spikes for tails happens. Shall I read that one? Please do. Yes. Yes. I love this. I love I love I love the, your enthusiasm and I love the way that you're you're leading us into it. And that, that's just the way the book is written as well. So, yeah, please, let's hear it. This is Richard Price. He's reading from The Owner of the Sea, Three Inuit Stories Retold. So I've called this um, episode, If You Can't Be Good, Be Careful. 
Just as Kivyuk was approaching another remote house, a lemming crossed his path. Kivyuk saw it was the one he'd rescued from a rock pool all an age ago. Listen, Kivyuk, said the lemming without even saying hello. You saved my life once, and now I'm going to save yours. When you lie down to sleep tonight, make sure you protect your vitals. There are huge shells here and flat stones. Place them over your body, but conceal them under your clothes. If you do, you might just survive tonight. Kivyuk thanked the lemming who disappeared in a hurry. What are my vitals? Kivyuk asked himself before scooping up half the rocky beach. Then he walked up to the house. There were two sisters in that house and they were of a kind that's relatively rare these days. They had scales from the midriff down and their bodies ended with a sharp tail. They welcomed Kivyuk, be our guest. And he spent a happy enough uh, evening with them. When it came to bedtime, he settled down on a bunk and pretended to go to sleep. They started to talk about Kivyuk as if he would be a tasty piece of meat. They wondered what tools and clothes they'd make from his bones and his skin. The sisters turned to another subject that interested them. Which of the women would get to kill Kivyuk? My tail's sharper than your sister, said the older woman. He won't know he's been attacked before it's too late. Oh, I like the pleasure of jabbing a man, said the younger sister. A tail should not be too sharp or it's all over too quickly. The first sister had to agree. She wanted to see Kivyuk writhe with her sister on top of him, jabbing him in every tender part. Well, sharpen your tail a little, she said. We're not monsters. Can you read the, le- the next bit? Because I, I love the next bit. Would you mind? You're leaving this hanging. You're leaving yeah, this yeah, hanging. Yeah, yeah. You have to find it again. I thought you'd had enough already. No, no, no. This is great. This is fantastic. I don't want to talk the younger woman clambered on top of Kivyuk, who was still pretending to be asleep. Now, as if neither sleeping nor completely awake, but in that state of perception, when a person is aware of their lover, kissing and caressing them into full consciousness, rousing them tenderly, humorously to have sex, Kibiuk mumbled, be my guest. The woman's large tail was now tensed and raised up, and she held it there, prolonging the moment, enjoying the tension. Her sister looked on, taking pleasure in it all too. Finally, the woman brought the arrow end of her tail, right down on Kivyuk, full force. <laughs> I should let my listeners know there is one more on this, but I'm not going to ask you to read it because I want people to read it for themselves. Fabulous, fabulous read. Really, really good. Um, to wrap here, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and, and, to, and to read from your book. The, the outcome of this book and the outcome of writing poetry is, I remember a poet who I'm not going to name saying to me one time in an interview that it's all up to the reader how they understand 
the poem. And I said to him, but is that really true? And, and, and he, he made a big sort of song and dance about, oh, yes, it's really up to that. And I'm not so sure that's true. Is, what do you think, Richard? I don't think it is true. I don't think the I don't think the poet in a way owns the poem anymore once it's broadcast or yeah. or printed, but I think um, language isn't a mush. Language is telling you how to read it within um, within certain ambiguities sometimes. Um, poetry is a really 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 big genre. Um, so it's a bit like saying music, um, and we all know how, how many fantastic different types of music there are. There are, some, uh, there are some types of poem which want to keep everything open to the extent that in a way they're no, no longer giving you information. They're really about sound effects, um, group, groups of little beautiful provocations that are yeah. sort of stirring your mind. But most poems, um, I'm not saying it's good that that's most, um, this is just a generalization, are written very carefully to try and limit the number of things that uh, are being said. Um, so I think, um, I think it's not true that the reader um, can legitimately find anything in a poem if they want to hear and read the, what the poem is saying. But I do believe in the freedom of the reader to do what the hell they like. Yes. You know, if you yes. want to misread the poem, if you want to use the poem for something else, uh, that's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, yeah. And um, the poet isn't going to be around there to police it. Right. You, you started off by talking about your what influenced you to get into writing poetry. And you said the lyrics of, of Bob Dylan. And, and, and who else did you say? You said Sam Cooke. Sam, Sam Cooke. Yes. Sam yeah. Cooke. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I, I think it would be amiss of me if I didn't remind my listeners that you have written lyrics to songs that we have played on the program uh, a lot of times and very fond of. So just, just once again, I just want to remind everybody that, that Richard also has an outfit called the Luss Adjusters and the World Brims is a track that we've played a number of times. It's an album that I highly recommend that people, uh, people check out. Uh, just anything going on with the, we're going off on a tangent, but anything going on <laughs> with the Luss Adjusters right now? Well, I've brought I've, I've bought myself a uh, a microphone to record vocals so that I can send them to my collaborator. The, the lockdown has basically temporarily yeah. killed us. Uh, we yeah. uh, we're not meeting. We haven't met for well at least eighteen months actually because of the lockdown. So um, it's really been uh, really pretty bad that way. Although after the world. Uh, Brims, I think we needed a break. Um, I did go back into Rob's studio, my collaborator, um, but the, the stuff that we were doing immediately after, neither of us was happy. So I think we needed a break. Um, yes. 
the fact that I've bought myself a little microphone to uh, work on some vocal things, I've started to think about, we, we do want to work again, um, but it, it will take its time. It was, it was a pretty special project. I, I mean, I'm so grateful for the support uh, that you've given it. Uh, it I, I, a bit like um, the owner of the sea, I don't know how we did that. It, in a way, it doesn't belong to us anymore. It was like, my God, we did that? We made that? Yeah. But, but we're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, it works. Um, and I'm going to let people hear it yet again. As always, I, I thoroughly enjoy talking to you, Richard. Uh, and I know that I've said this to you before, but I, I do feel that we could just chat away for, for hours and hours about poetry, about stuff or whatever, which is always why it really is just a delight to chat to you. And what a delight to talk to you and have you read from this book. And, and for those of my listeners that, that are interested, the links will be up, and I hope it's all of you, the link will be up at lifeelsewhere.co. Once again, the title of the book is The Owner of the Sea, Three Inuit Stories Retold. And I should let everybody know that the afterword by Nancy Campbell is certainly worth reading as well. So uh, thank you to Nancy. Richard, thank you so very much once again for joining us at Life Elsewhere. Thank you so much. Um, delighted to be here as always. The world brims with light and water. A tattoo like fronds and fronds like a tattoo. The world brims the whole delta, childhood dams, light and water. Lines the tide leaves, soft sand. Lines linen leaves, soft skin. Lines leaves leave grass beneath one side of a face. You back then, and me back then, and both sleeping. You back then, and me back then, and both sleeping. Wake me, a murmur, a dream, wake me, waking. Laden light and weightless water, weightless water and laden light, laden light and weightless water. The world brims with the world. The world brims light and water, a tattoo like fronds, fronds like a tattoo. The world brims a, the whole delta, childhood dams, light and water. Lines the tide leaves, soft sand. Lines, linen leaves, soft skin. Lines, leaves, leaves, grass beneath one side of a face. You back then, and me back then. You back then, and me back then. Sleeping. Wake me. A murmur, a dream. Wake me. Waking. Laden light. Wake Laden light, weightless water, laden light, weightless water. The world brims with the world. 
Music from the Luss Adjusters, featuring the words and voice of Richard Price with The World Brims. A large round of applause, please, for my guest, Richard Price, and details about Richard's book, The Owner of the Sea, are up at lifeelsewhere.co. Now, your feedback is always welcome. Write to me. Let me know what you think of Life Elsewhere. My email address comes up in the closing credits. Future shows on Life Elsewhere feature a conversation about new women in the Old West with author Winifred Gallagher. Robin Broad and John Kavanagh explain how ordinary people saved a country from corporate greed in The Water Defenders. And our good friend and frequent Life Elsewhere guest Mark Haskell-Smith is back with the delightfully named Rude Talk in Athens. And to take us up to the close, more music from the Loss Adjusters. This one is titled Tidy Up the Scene. Till next time, please be well, be safe, and you know it costs absolutely nothing. Be nice. Bye-bye. Frank is telling me the kids are on the move It's a black kid so no time to lose They shoot the man in his car Another wet white local star The cops get their story straight It's not too late to practice what they're meant to mean And tidy up the scene Frank is telling me the judges could not lose It's politics so they call it stealing shoes Attacking shopping's a protest too far Open the all night bar Drinks for the beak Let justice slur when it starts to speak Jail the poor to keep the righteous clean
Frankie's telling me half the country's on my tail The TV and the Holy Mail Just for the colour of my tan England doesn't need the clan When your skin can't be trusted Your future's done and dusted It's empathy and arm lock Phone the condolences team And tidy up the scene Softly, don't listen to what I'm saying Look at the boys here playing Thinking up a new world with laughs and Lego Colour and creation from the chaos and the get-go They both start in the same circumstances You know the difference in their likely life chances To my boy and his dean Gentle like he's lost all spleen Subtle like there's more he wants to mean It makes me think I'm down there with the toys Clean up now boys No order and no ice cream Tidy up the scene Get the story straight And keep the hardest clean And tidy up, tidy up the scene Your skin can't be trusted Your future's gone and dusted Don't listen to what I'm saying. Look at the boys here playing. Picking up a new world with laughs and ego. Polar recreation for the chaos and the ghetto. The pop stars in the same circumstances. You know the difference in the likely life chances. Tidy up the scene. Make calls to my boys and his dean. Gentle, like he's lost all his spleen. Subtle, like the small he wants to mean. He makes me think I'm down there with our toys. Clear up now, boys. No water, no ice cream. Tidy up the scene. been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind the scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Life Elsewhere is...